After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Deuce and more. Deuce and more. Deuce and more. They tell you what they know. Deuce and more. Deuce and more, Deuce and more, the podcast that you know. Hey, welcome into the Juice and Mo podcast. Hope you're enjoying the NBA offseason. You know, it's early August. We're just a couple months away from NBA training camps opening up. <laughs> when you say it like that, it's almost here. I'm already ready. I can't wait. Uh, we're super excited about today's podcast because it's someone we've never had on the podcast before. Never, ever. He is one of the nicest guys out there. And ever. he does great work. Yes. Oh, fantastic work. And I mean, obviously, we've been consuming his work for years. So it's just an honor that he has agreed to come on to our podcast. That person we're talking about is Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer. Before we go to that interview, I want to encourage you to take a second to give us a five-star review on Spotify or the Apple Podcast Store. All it does is help our podcast grow and grow so more NBA fans around the world see it. Enjoy our conversation with the one and only KOC. We are super excited for this. Morgan, this is a big one. This is a huge one. Uh, he is someone we've wanted on the podcast for a long time, and he is here today. Of course, he covers the NBA for the Ringer, of course, his po- uh, podcast, The Mismatch, and the NBA Draft Show, and of course, his new FanDuel TV show, Beyond the Arc. He's the one, the only, Kevin O'Connor. How you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. I'm feeling even better today here with Deuce and Mo. How are you guys doing? Dude, we are so pumped to have you on, man. Seriously. Um, yeah, and we met you last year at Summer League, and you know, sometimes you, you don't know how people in the business are going to be. You know, KOC is a big deal. Oh my, not only, well, not only is he a big deal, it's like, I was almost nervous meeting Kevin the first time. Um, And I actually think I started like bowing down to you for a second. I was like, oh my God, it's KOC. Um, But then he ended up being uh, the nicest guy ever. Almost too nice. Yes. The nicest Uh. guy. So uh, first of all, I'm so happy we met you at Summer League last year. 
if I remember correctly, I think I think I said to you, Mo, if I'm, I was like, oh, you guys do awesome stuff covering the Kings. I, I love your show because I was like prepping ahead for the coming season with my former show, The Void. And I was like, oh, who are some people like who cover the Kings or or this team or that team? I was like, oh, they're definitely people to bring on. But then like the show changed. It became the draft show. And then the Beyond the Arc thing is all ringer guests. But now I'm here. So hopefully this coming season, you can come on my show too, depending on how things change again. Uh, But yeah, you guys are awesome. And uh, it's so cool to see like you guys obviously had the amazing year with the Kings, but then covering the NBA as a whole, um, you two do uh, absolutely awesome stuff. Well, we appreciate you saying that. Yeah, thanks. So we want to dig into KOC a little bit because of course you talk about the game nonstop, ball is life, but how did ball become life for you? Like when did you first fall in love with the game of basketball? Um, I mean, I, I think I, I forget the year exactly, but I remember I grew up in a city called Brockton in Massachusetts. It's like 45 minutes south of Boston. I remember one time, maybe when I was like seven, eight years old, my my dad, you know, he brought me to Brockton High School, the local high school where like all the Celtics players are having a training camp, you know, event or whatever. And like I got like Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker, wow. Walter McCarty, a bunch of, you know, older players back then to sign like a poster. And around the same time, either before that or, you know, months after that, I went to a Timberwolves Celtics game, Kevin Garnett, you know, early in his career. And mm. I just had the best time. And, you know, since the really late nineties, early two thousands, I used to watch every Celtics game with my dad. Um, so growing up in that area, rooting for, for Boston and seeing a lot of ups and downs with that team over the years, and obviously winning a championship in 08, um, the passion just kind of increased and increased over the years, but ball really didn't become like life until, <laughs> you know, like it kind of just somehow fell into like this career, um, in 2013, that's when it really all started. But, um, I, it was always, always a pivotal part of my life. Do you life. like how he said he fell in as if he was just on a walk and like, yeah, oh, he's like, oh like my he gosh, didn't yeah. like put in work to get this done. Yeah. <laughs> my memory of you early on was you doing the draft guides where you, independently i believe and i I bought one of your draft guides because it was so good and you still do of course do the ringer draft guide but i thought was that what put you on the map a little bit yeah so like with the ringer i remember i got contacted like that ringer launched in 2016 and that year uh, i got contacted by danny chow who's now back with the ringer he's like oh i love your draft stuff And, and we just chatted a little bit back and forth and later in that year after the site launched um chris ryan sent me a random email and he's like hey i'd love to hop on the phone with you and at that time you know i was freelancing for a bunch of different places doing my draft guide it was the third year doing that independently and um you know at the time i was kind of getting like a job offer from draft express and nbc sports boston then comcast sports new england was recruiting me like they were trying to make a job to hire me full time and then the ringer was like we want to have a meeting i was like oh my god if they offer me a job like see a DX, see like NBC Sports Boston is like a crazy opportunity. And Chris, Chris Ryan and I just talked. It was like a get to know you call. And then Sean Fennessy had a call, you know, like a days later and offered me a job. And it was, they said, they did say it was because the draft guide wow. noticing like the, that doing that independently. Uh, that's what kind of first caught their attention. So um, I guess, you know, and starting doing that in 2014, I remember my dad saying to me, he's like, oh, this this is going to be something that separates you from, you know, other people just, you know, covering only the Celtics, you know, doing the draft as a whole. Wow. Um, and, you know, it, 
definitely putting all that extra work uh definitely paid off it, it was it's I, I still love doing it to this day i've been working ahead on the draft draft guide for next year this summer <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say so, so yeah it didn't just drop in your lap i mean all your hard work that you were doing and the freelancing that you're doing uh led to the opportunities that you had but and obviously that's when you got your big break but what what even made you want to start writing and uh basically doing some of those draft guides i mean that's not easy to do like whenever i see people in sacramento and they start creating content it's never first and foremost like oh let me do all this work to put into an entire guide for people to read it's usually it starts with videos or something smaller what 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 led you in that direction um i, I so like in I was so 2013 was the first year I started writing for SB Nation with Celtics blog and I like doing draft stuff I always my whole life have loved the draft like I grew up you know in the at 12 13 years old so I'm 33 now and, and like 2002 you know looking at NFL draft stuff and NBA draft stuff and in 2013 I did some draft stuff for Celtics blog and and then I started noticing like people were doing NFL draft guides and like no disrespect some of them were kind of just like you know words on a page kind of like you know big walls of text and i was like this would be cool with the nba kind of like baseball card style looks with like cool graphics and colors for each individual page and all that and so i said you know i'm going to dedicate the time you know to creating a, a draft guide and the first one i made like all by myself in microsoft excel which was the <laughs> dumbest idea in hindsight like having like the blocks for different colors and the file crashed one time halfway through oh. and i had to re rebuild the whole thing um but <laughs> and then the following year i got smarter and started using it in an adobe program um with it with like a better looking a better looking design and all that um but i don't know it's just really just the passion behind looking ahead at the draft i, I think my whole life with sports i've always like I'm not like the biggest history buff, which is weird working for Ben Simmons uh, for Bill Simmons. Like Bill is like he looks he knows everything in NBA history. I'm I'm the type who I've always liked looking forward. Yeah. Um, so I would draft stuff. I've always been super passionate about like, well, who's next in the league and how how are the players that are coming into the league gonna kind of dictate what the league could become or what teams are gonna become. Um, so it really was just rooted in that passion. Kind of wanted to do a little bit more than just cover the Celtics. You know, it's easy to become jaded in the business, especially when you've been doing it a long time. But I'm curious when you kind of reflect on your journey and just where you are now, what's your favorite part about covering the NBA and in this business? Um, I mean, like on a like a personal selfish level, just the fact that like it never feels like a job. Uh, like I, I love doing it. I remember like there was this one time during the season. It was like, a, I don't know, a Friday or a Saturday night. And I was like, I'm going to work ahead on an article I said to my mom. And she's like, don't work too hard. And she kind of stopped herself in the middle of it. And she's like, I know you like doing it. And so that that was the best feeling, you know, with, with moments like that, where it's like, yeah, I, I like doing this. I really enjoy doing this. I'd be following the league as intently and as closely if I weren't getting paid zero dollars, if I were being if I were paying to go to games. Uh, so, like, I think that's the main thing. But also, I, I like I love 
like you said, we met at Summer League last year. We hung out again this year, and we have our, our great dinners, and yeah. we we meet people who are genuine, cool people, and you know they become friends. You know, hopefully for a lifetime. And and I think that's that's the part that's like really surprised me is like the relationships that you build with people over the course of time. Um, but I think part of that is like we're all you know in our own ways enjoying what we're doing. Um, it's it's a it's definitely a blessing to do this. I love it so much. It's so true because even I, I was talking to Deuce a few weeks ago about some of the people that we've met throughout these last couple of years. Like even the Kings being in the playoffs led us to so many new friendships and um, people that we would have never really connected with and really getting to know them and talking about how as children, they used to make up songs about the NBA. And I was telling them (laughs) how I used to make up poems about the NBA and Deuce used to do this when it came to the NBA. You know, like we all have these this love and this passion for this game. And I know for me, it was Chris Weber that really triggered my love for basketball. Um, what about for you? I know you mentioned Kevin Garnett, uh, watching him a little bit and obviously a lot of the Celtics, but was there one specific player that just attracted you to the game? Um, I, so I think like the first non Celtics player was Kevin Garnett, Okay, uh, like going to that game and how tall he was. And then you watch him from afar over the years before he joins the Celtics and all the screaming. And I used to argue on forums, how he was better than Tim Duncan and <laughs> growing up and stuff like that. Uh, I always used to argue like if KG were on the Spurs, they'd be even better. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, Dude, so, the, like, the forum the Celt- days were the best. I used to go on this forum called kingstalk.com <laughs> that's no longer exists, but I mean, that was almost the, the Twitter feed before Twitter for sports fans. Yeah, 100%. I was like a bunch of small little communities that now kind of, they still exist, but they're, everybody's on Twitter now. Yeah. Everybody's on, on social media having those conversations. And I guess real GM forums too and Reddit, but those are massive. Like you're talking the small forums. And I don't know, I, I think KG was the first non-Celtic and I mean, all of those, you know, young, you know, late, early 2000s Celtics teams that I grew up watching, whether it was a big players like Paul Pierce or role players like Eric Williams, and then later Ryan Gomes and Tony Allen and all these different types of guys and always loved Rajon Rondo, his rookie year. I, you know, I was like, yes, trade Sebastian Telfair instead of Rajon Rondo to get Kevin Garnett and, <laughs> and Ray Allen. So, um, I don't know, a bunch of different guys over the years, uh, growing up, but, uh, Paul Pierce and, and uh, you know, I never liked Antoine Walker, though. Never was a big okay. I did not like him either, and I hated him more once he was in Dallas because the Kings had that thing with Dallas in the early 2000s. I always thought Antoine Walker was so overrated. Wow. I don't know why. It, I think the Antoine Walker trade, like when the Cel- – I was, I don't know, 11, 12 years old when the Celtics traded Antoine Walker. He's a fan favorite alongside Paul Pierce, multi-time All-Star. And I remember, like, Danny Angel was the first big move he made. And I remember like walking into like the the living room or something like that and seeing like the trade on TV. I had no idea who Rafe LaFrance was outside of like and playing NBA Live or whatever. Yeah. And and I remember not feeling. I remember kids in school were sad, angry. They felt betrayed, and I was like, "He's not that good." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so like nowadays, I mean, like growing up a Patriots fan, where they're cutting good players before they get old, you know, a Celtic, you know, the Red Sox, Red Sox trading Nomar Garcia Parra, mm. and then they win the World Series. Celtics trading Antoine Walker. Like growing up a, a spoiled Boston sports fan, you see how those tough decisions are what lead to the greatest rewards. So I think like guys like Antoine getting traded when like friends were so sad and I was like, 
whatever. <laughs> it really informed the way I am now as an analyst where I was like, you know, nobody's untouchable. You, like, you have to make those tough choices in order to win at the highest level. That's amazing. Dropping hot takes when you're young. Mm. Going in. Yeah, not a popular take at all at the time. <laughs> Um, I love having you on too because we get to pick your brain about the Kings and kind of what they've done this offseason. It wasn't a crazy sexy offseason by any means, although I love the Sasha move. They re-signed Amanis Sabonis, trade Rashawn Holmes, re-sign Harrison Barnes, bring back Lyles, get Duarte. How would you describe the, the Kings offseason? Good. Um, I don't think it like you said, it was, you know, mind-blowing by any means. Uh, it wasn't the type of off season you'd have on like your top five best off seasons of the, you know, of 2023 type of thing. But like they retained the guys they had to retain and the role players that they added, including, you know, drafting Colby Jones. Yeah. I think they, you know, getting Chris Duarte, he did not pan out in Indiana, but he's a younger guy still in terms of, you know, years in the NBA, you give him an opportunity. Maybe he pans out in this type of system. You get Colby Jones, who feels like a perfect fit for this system. Maybe he's one of those rookies who is making an immediate impact, considering he was an upperclassman in college. And and Vizenkov, like I, I think that guy is an absolute perfect fit for the Ooh. Kings system. He is absolutely awesome when it comes to off-ball movement, cutting, quick decision making, screening. Like I, I just think Mike Brown is going to be able to plug him, plug and play him into so many different types of roles. And ultimately, though, I think with the Kings, the question is still the same, though, after all the moves, how good are they going to be defensively or is their offense just going to be so incredible that that's what's going to, you know, guide them past the first round and way deeper into the playoffs because they get the pieces um, yeah. and they get the youth, the youth that can get better, whether it's Keegan Murray or Fox himself or some of those guys that we mentioned already. Yeah, you know, when you're scoring like 160 points a game, <laughs> like who needs defense anyway, right? Uh, but but that's kind of going back to Sasha because I know that's something that a lot of us have talked about. How will his defense even translate in the NBA if there was a lack of it already in the Euro League? And I know that you did, you took a deep dive on him a little bit more and we've talked about what he will be able to do with that plug and play, especially on the offensive end. How do you think his game as a whole will translate in the NBA? I'd be shocked if it doesn't translate right away. Um, you know, he's on, he's on the older end. He's nearly 30 at this point. So it's, it's not like he's inexperienced. He's 27, 28 years old, I believe. So, you know, comes with a lot of experience overseas and big games and with, with his offense, I just think stuff like that translates to any level at all. Even if he if he wasn't somebody who had to create overseas, uh, in a, in an interview I did for Beyond the Arc um, with uh, somebody from uh, from BasketNews.com, Donatus Yerbonis, he 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 and his staff had a video where they talked about how Vizenkov had you know like 250 points scored on like 30 dribbles. I forget the exact numbers off the top oh. of my head, but it was like one of those Clay Thompson you know 60 points on two dribbles type of stats. And that's because he moves off ball. He's so smart at reading the defense. He makes quick decision decisions. He knows how to make the right play. And I think with that Kings offense, that was what made it so beautiful to watch all season long. They could toggle between that motion or running high pick and roll with the Aaron Fox. And Vizenkov is going to be able to fit right into that. And with his size as well, at 6'9", 6'10", you're going to be able to play, you know, Sabonis at the five. But then maybe you see a lot more Trey Lyles 
small ball lineups with Vizankov and Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray out there where you still have, you know, a bunch of guys who are six, eight, six, nine, and you're able to play with versatility on defense. And may- maybe that's what ends up happening when the Kings need to go to their defensive lineups. So I think he's just another big body with skill that allows them to play the way they always do on offense, but also maybe play like with a, a bit more versatility uh, than they were able to last season when it worked in spurts, but like sometimes they felt a little smaller, uh, but now they got size. Yeah. I feel like the Sasha move is kind of flying under the radar in NBA circles. Like he is such a, I mean, his shooting ability, that quick release, and all the stuff you guys just mentioned, I think it's a serious upgrade for the Kings coming off their bench, especially with a guy that has that type of experience, high basketball IQ. I know there's going to be maybe some issues defensively just from his pure athleticism, right? It's not like he's a crazy athlete, but he's a smart player that should be able to recover and be in the right spots defensively. And I, I just, I look at this Kings offense or this Kings team, I'm like, look, it looks like they're just leaning toward offense, you know? I mean, defensively, Can they take a little bit of a jump and just be a good team defensive team? That's what I'm wondering with this. Especially since they're running it back, KOC. You know, like maybe even having that extra time together in Mike Brown having this extra time with these same guys. Do you see their defense taking any sort of a leap? I think it's going to come down to Sabonis, honestly. I mean, like with him, it would be unfair to assume he's always going to be who he is. And I, I think with him, he's still, you know, he's 27, like pretty, pretty much the same age as Vizenkov right now. I don't think he's going to necessarily follow some Brooke Lopez trajectory, but, you know, Brooke Lopez at one point in the mid 2010s was, you know, all offense, low post player who didn't offer any defense. And then he's become a an all defensive team type of player for the the Milwaukee Bucks. And granted, granted, Lopez is much bigger. He's just he has the the sheer size over Sabonis. Maybe over the course of time, Sabonis can go from, you know, below average on defense to above average on defense. And I think you, if that something like that happens and you have even slightly better rim protection, which comes not just from Sabonis, but it comes from having size with help with Vizankov or, you know, Harrison Barnes coming back and Keegan Murray's got size himself. And, you know, maybe maybe if Sabonis starts shooting threes, which he's flirted with throughout his career, but he's never really, it's never panned out for him. If he, if he can start shooting threes at a competent level, that's what allows you to play, you know, Nerlens Noel or Alex Len and have two bigs out there like many teams are doing right now across the league. So I just think like if, if you get micro improvements from yeah. Sabonis, who's already super good, and he becomes slightly better defensively, better as a three-point shooter. That's what allows you to have so much more lineup flexibility. I think those things are are what can in turn improve the defense. Yeah, I would love for Sabonis to look for his shot more. Yeah. And I know he wants to get guys involved, but you saw it in that Warriors series. One, he was banged up. We know he had the hand injury, but he was definitely hesitant to take the jump shot. And he can't be hesitant. If he can knock down even the mid-range shot, expand out, take some threes and knock them down, that opens up so much more for the Kings offense. Well, I mean, just look at the playoffs the yeah. this last season and what he wasn't doing from especially from that elbow. I mean, he was like getting sagged off from yeah. mid range. Right. Like, that, that can't that can't be a thing. And I mean, I think with him, those dribble handoff actions, if you can also add the ability to shoot off of that, yeah. That would oh, that would make him an even, you know, more devastating player on offense than he already was last season. 
We've got more with KOC coming up, but we should mention that today's podcast presented by a New York Times bestselling author. She's the one and only T. She's a crazy author lady who writes crazy author books. They're not author books. They're thriller books, actually. And that is what I meant to say. And truly, if you're looking for a summer read that just um, will make you have nightmares, but kind of in a thrilling good way, uh, make sure to check out T.R. Reagan books. You can go to trreagan.com or you can go to amazon.com and search T.R. Reagan. We're also presented by Isaac Fitness. You know, Morgan, I've been back in the gym, and I'm feeling good. I'm getting stronger. I've dropped a little weight. I feel like the love handles take a bit, and that's fine. I'm working on it. But ESAC Fitness is a great spot to go to work out. They've got fitness classes for your strength. They've got cycling. They've got yoga and a recovery room. Check out ESACFitness.com or give them a call, 916-599-3181. We're also presented by Joey Reagan over at Lion Real Estate. Morgan, if you're looking for a house, why should you go to Joey? Well, Joey loves the hell out of Sacramento. He's also a huge Sacramento Kings fan. So. You realize Sacramento is one of the most popular places to move right now. People from the Bay Area are just coming into the city. <laughs> so you want to use Joey to find that that's, house. Honestly, that's a great point. And he's great at helping you buy or sell your home. So if you're looking to do that or you know anyone who is also looking to do that, make sure to hit up Joey. You can hit him up anytime. Yeah, Joey jreagan.golion.com that's jreagan.golion.com or give him a call at 916-412-4592 that's 916-412-4592 license number 02128070 after the end of a good fight you deserve an ice cold reward Medela is the mark of a fighter you've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight the better the reward you put in the hours the energy the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So where are you at with Keegan Murray? Kings fans are really high on him. The Kings are really high on him, too. Do you see a player with star qualities? Um, I mean, I think, you know, star in his role would be the way I'd put okay. it. I don't know if I see superstar, like, in terms of, like, top 10, top 15 type of player. What but about all – does I mean, he have all-star potential? <laughs> yeah, I, I okay. think so. I mean, I don't, I don't see why not. All-star is tough because every year is so different sure. and there's replacements and all that. But, like, that's – to your point, like, that's 
where he could become an all-star. Um, I think with Keegan Murray, at the least, he already has the foundation to be one of the better role players in all of basketball. He's a good three-point shooter. He's a smart player. He can defend. And over the course of time, you would expect those skills to even get better. So the thing that could like, you know, leap him forward in terms of that conversation, you know, we're talking about as an all-star or, or start level player, it's going to be the shot creation ability. And like, he definitely looked better in summer league uh, and very limited chances. So that's what you want to see is him dominating at that level after one year of experience in the NBA. So if Keegan Murray can continue improving, I think that that's, that's the, that's the thing with guys like him, because, you know, in college, he is not like, if you look at his old tape, even just his first year at Iowa, like he's nowhere close as he was as his second year with Iowa. So like he, some of these late bloomers, like late bloomers in high school, late bloomers in college, Maybe he'll be a, a a surprising bloomer in the NBA where second year he's doing more off the dribble than third year. He's suddenly averaging 22, 23 points per game. Um, sometimes it just takes the guys a while. So maybe Keegan Murray is one of those types. That's that's the direction. Okay. That's what I feel. And Kevin, I sit on the fence with so many things. Yeah, you do. I, if anything, people think I lean negative, when, <laughs> but really I lean realistic with things is how I put it. Thank you. And with Keegan, there's just something maybe it's because we're close and we cover him um, up close, but like the, the guy only cares about basketball. And then when he's not playing basketball, he's like what golf and video games or something like, yeah, it's, it's nothing else. And it's just like what he does. And there's something about him where I'm like, I think he's going to be one of those bloomers that surprises us all, especially with like his modern day NBA body, his length. Um, We saw a little bit more confidence with him putting the ball on the floor. And I think he's going to get so much more empowered by this King squad, not just the coaching staff, but by his teammates too. And he's been hanging out with De'Aaron like every day of the summer. They call him Uncle Keegs or whatever. I don't know. There's just something. Am I being am I being too optimistic, or or do you think like this like seeing right, the way that he's sounding, jumping? You're sounding kind of high on Keegan don't. right now. I'm just I'm, asked, I'm talking to Kevin. Do you think well, I'm being too optimistic, or do you think like yeah that it, it really is something that maybe we could be seeing with someone like him, especially with the way that he keeps getting better within in the middle of the season and everything as well. Well, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head where you said how it's about opportunity and like he got that opportunity in summer league to show off his improved handling and all that and his improved creation. Will the opportunity be given to him with all these other guys in the Kings who are sources of offense? Cause I just pulled up his numbers on synergy last season. He had 25 plays running pick and rolls, not seven plays as an isolation player. So like that's just a handful of possessions over the course of the season where he's given an opportunity to run a pick and roll or isolate one-on-one. And he only had 20 post-ups too. So it's not like Mm. he was doing a lot of that either. So I think with Keegan Murray, if they see him as a guy who deserves more opportunities as a guy, like who can attack mismatches, then maybe that's the next step where he becomes a guy who's not like running your offense necessarily, but if he has a switch against a smaller player, maybe you're having isolate having him isolate against that player. If they feel like there's a, a situation where he can create off the dribble in a pick and roll situation and get Fox going off ball, then I think that's beneficial because the one thing he does have that you can definitely say for sure is good decision making. Yeah. He's not, you know, he's not, you know, an idiot out there. He's not making silly decisions. Keegan Murray is a smart, high IQ player. 
So with that in mind, I think Mike Brown can at least trust him to make the right choices on the floor. And and that seems deserving of at least the, the chances. Like we've seen OG and Obi. The Raptors gave OG and Obi chances to to be a pick and roll ball handler around isolations, and he was okay at it. He was inefficient at it. Um, but Keegan Murray, maybe he'll be far more efficient than that and shows uh, new dimensions of his game, more like a Jeremy Grant type who over the years got those mm. chances then, you know, panned out. I don't remember if we were talking about this last summer league or anything, but Deer and Fox, were you surprised with the type of season that he had? Or did you kind of see that from far? Like, yeah, that was bound to happen. Surprised. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't see Fox becoming the shooter that he's become. Um, mid-range guy and you know three-point shot like still inconsistent but like he's one of the better mid-range shooters in all of basketball he continued to get continues to get better at driving to the basket drawing fouls absorbing contact um, I mean Fox has exceeded my expectations for sure I liked him in the draft uh, I think everybody liked the Aaron Fox for for his talents and what he could become but I mean without that hand injury in the postseason I mean when his shot kind of fell off like the dude was unbelievable. He was unbelievable in the postseason, and you know he just continued to get better. That's what you want to see. Like he didn't get worse. Yeah, he didn't get worse in the playoffs. Like a lot of guys do. Even Joel Embiid gets worse in the playoffs. <laughs> De'Aaron Fox got better. Yeah, and I, I think he'll continue to build on. And then like that speaks to our point we were talking about earlier with guys getting better. Who's to say De'Aaron Fox at 25 years old won't get even better than he already is? Right. Like if that happens, you have to change the way you're viewing the Kings and what their upside is. Speaking of their upside, so they were the number three seed last year. The West was bizarre, right? They win 48 games. Where do you think they stack up in the West right now as you kind of look at all the moves that have been made this offseason in the West? Do you project them to be a team that's competitive? Can they get to the conference finals? Is that crazy to, to think? I think they're one of the the handful of teams that could the West feels weird again this yeah. year where I, I just, I don't know. I mean, Denver's number one um, in my eyes. And then, you know, Phoenix uh, would be number two in my eyes at this point. But then after that, it's like, you get a bunch of teams that, you know, could play themselves in that conversation. I think the Kings are probably the safe pick to be third best team in the West, considering what we saw last season and how they could be projectably better. You know, John Morant's out for 25 games. Who knows how that throws the team off. Can't trust the Clippers. Warriors, they're still old. You know, they do have eight. You know, they don't have eight. They have age on their side. And same with the Lakers. So, you know, unless like there's some surprise team like Dallas getting better, New Orleans with a healthy Zion or, you know, Gobert, Towns work out together this year. The Kings feel like the safe pick of that middle lump of teams um, amongst the Lakers, Warriors and Clippers. But uh, I'd have them third at the highest right now. Yeah, see, that's the thing, Morgan. I you'll go ask anybody about the West. It's hard to trust any of these yeah. teams. It really is. Like even Phoenix, I'm a little mixed on just because of the health issues KD's had, and even Beal to a certain extent. So it, there's just a lot of ifs with all these teams. I mean, I feel like isn't that the question every year with a lot of teams in the West, especially? It feels like health, depending on if healthy, if healthy, the Clippers can do this, and on paper they can do this, and then. You just go up to Portland and you see everything going down with Dame. I mean, where where do we think, when do we think there's going to be, be a decision one? And do we think that's going to really mess with the West if he even stays here? Or like, how do you feel about that whole situation? 
Well, I mean, let's say Dame were to stay in Portland and they keep it. I still don't think they're a playoff team. I still view them as one of the, you know, four or five worst teams in the Western Conference. So I don't think they'd impact the playoff race necessarily, unless Portland went the other way and traded Scoot Henderson or Shaden Sharp and some of their young guys and were like, hey, we're going to. We're going to go for it with Damian Lillard. Dude, <laughs> unless that were to be a massive about face. But, or I mean, unless unless they trade him within the West, like if, you know, some crazy three-way deal with, you know, Carl Anthony Towns to a third team and Dame to the Minnesota Timberwolves or the Utah Jazz step up and get Damian Lillard in a second star. Unless something surprising like that happens, I don't, I don't think Dame's, you know, new team is going to affect the Kings or the Western Conference playoff race necessarily. It seems like Miami is still the favorite, the only team, you know, seriously pursuing him. But as Woj reported, you know, earlier in the week, there's still no acceptable offers in the eyes of Portland. And as Sham said, you know, he repeated what it's been out there for weeks. It's like a three, four first round draft pick offer with some young players and some salary fill. It's like right now, if I'm the Blazers, I'm not taking that offer. I'd rather Lord, bring it into this coming season and go with the the Kevin Durant Nets playbook where they're like, okay, we're going to try to make this work and try to increase our leverage to get a better offer. And they did. They did get a better offer. So I, I think for the, the, the Blazers, that's going to be the game plan here. And you know what? If they decide to go the other way, if a great opportunity presents itself, you buy yourself time. And you also get Scoot Henderson a mentor earlier in the season too. I think there's benefits to Portland for waiting and I just think that Miami Heat offer stinks. Like I don't think it's any good at all. Yeah. And you know, if I'm a, if I were a Blazers fan and if they took that, I'd be absolutely furious. Are are you are you the type that like looks at some of these players with these huge contracts that are in their 30s and you're like talent trumps all. Everyone's going to want them. They'll sell tickets and something else. It, to me it just seems like that's not always been the good basketball move for a lot of these organizations where you stand on all that um you mean like if portland were to keep dame and like play hardball even even when like let's say Kyrie was in the mix of things still right before signing everything with dallas and just like when people are you talking about building like super teams yeah but like i i just i feel like this is something we've seen more and more over the years even going back to like john wall and his contract and people always acting like i know that they make 30 million plus but talent trumps all and i there's so many times that I, 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 or even Chris Paul or wherever it may be. And I'm just like, why would people trade away their whole future for some of these older pieces? Do you think they're going in the direction of, I want to sell tickets. Like there's not real basketball people leading the way or where, and what would you do? Do you believe in like the whole, for some of these guys, older guys making that much money, talent trumps all. Are you like, no, like let's build with some good basketball players from the ground up. Uh, I mean, I, I think in the case, every situation is, is its own. Like for Miami, I want Damian Lord. Like it doesn't matter what type of money he's making. It doesn't okay. matter if it's an if it's an albatross in that last year when he's making sixty plus million dollars. It's all about this coming season and you know the year after that and trying to maximize the Bam Jimmy Butler core and trying to win a championship. So, but like that's not the case for every team. Like yeah. for other teams, I'd be thinking like, why would you add Damian Lord? Doesn't make any sense to add Damian Lord. Even even like the teams that you could make some arguments, like Utah, like Utah, like in theory, they have so many first round draft picks, and they have Lowry marketing on a good value contract, and they have all these other young, you know, Walker Kessler's already one of the best defensive centers in basketball. Yeah. If you had Damian Lord 
and then you also trade for Pascal Siakam. Yes, you are a high level West team, but I'm not sure that necessarily makes you like the favorites or better than Denver. So I, I think that's like where it's difficult for a lot of teams when it comes to a player making that much money. James Harden at their age. James, Harden, like, yeah. I mean, there's like nobody. I, I wouldn't want to trade for James okay. Harden except unless I'm the Clippers. And like they are the only team right now that seems to want to trade for James Even Harden. That's like, so weird. Thank you. That's my point. Like, but again, you if you're the Clippers, you're Balmer, you have all this money invested. You're like, I, can I just get a piece that I can bring in here that could be another guy and we can make a run in the West that is weird. Like, and when we go into the new arena, we sure. can sell some tickets. I wouldn't too. do it, but it's like, okay, a Harden, Kawhi, Paul, George, core. Oh. It doesn't do it for yeah, me. I mean, you. good no. luck. It it seems like, I mean, it's a desperate move. It's like an all-in move to to try to win this season. And like it seems like all indications are that the, that the Clippers aren't even offering like a Terrence Mann <laughs> in the deal. So clearly they don't want Harden that badly or they're hoping that Maury just gets so desperate that he pulls the plug for a, a low price, but I don't. I don't think Daryl Morey's gonna do that. He he's never done that. <laughs> he definitely didn't do that with Ben Simmons. <laughs> um, he took that to the extremes, and then he got James Harden. And plus, with Harden, as like I say, there's not a lot of teams that I think should trade for James Harden. But at the same time, even though he had these crazy ups and downs in the postseason, he still had these insane highs. Like, Absolutely. 40 point bangers and he still had you know a, a really good regular season as part of a uh, an important two two uh, piece of that Joel Embiid pick and roll so it's not like he stinks like Harden is still a very good player so like if you're the Sixers here you're in such a difficult spot because you don't want to give him up for nothing you still need to win a championship like if I'm the Sixers I'm asking for Paul George from mm. the Clippers and I don't think you're going to get Paul George but I don't think Paul George is dramatically better than james harden honestly yeah. i don't even at this point yeah the james harden conversation is interesting because now it's to the point where there's so much negative stuff around him that i feel like he's starting to be underrated a little bit <laughs> like how it should, he went from being like so overrated you know now it's like the the, the way people talk about him is that like he's a bum but i think the smart basketball people understand the um, how important it is to have a good team player around your squad as well. Especially like when we were talking about it, the possibility about him going back to Houston, it's like, why, why do you want, I mean, obviously now they have Fred Van Vliet and they have some, some leadership there for the locker room, whatever. But at the same time, why would you want that piece going forward with your squad? You know, the team is all going to be, it's going to all be about James Harden. Yeah, that never made sense to right. me. Right. And it never translated into championships either. I mean, he was the player that pushed the Warriors to the brink, um, but he's not that player anymore. And I've always been a Harden guy. I've always liked Harden um, since he was in his OKC days. I always liked him as a six man. He reminded me of Manu Ginobili, like a you know a younger Manu, and he's turned into like a dramatically different player than that with what he was in Houston. But he's still like I just think Harden. He he's already evolved his games and his game in some ways because he's not that thirty five point per game guy. He's always looking for the pass at this point. But he's almost evolved it like too much where he sometimes isn't even looking to score. Yeah. But that's because he can't elevate the same way anymore. Um, I will I think with Harden, he needs to look in the mirror even more and become and look at his old OKC stuff where he was playing off ball and moving and shooting threes off the catch. 
I don't know. Like, like it's like Harden. Harden should be the type of guy that you can envision playing on the Kings, like where he plays in motion. You should be able to envision that should. based off what he was in college and in OKC. But he's the opposite of that with what he became in Houston and what he has been with Philadelphia. Yeah. But I think with Harden, like if he really like is you know looking within and says, "What can I do to to actually win a championship and not go down as one of the greatest players to never win a title?" He's got to change his game even more. And so whether you're the Clippers or I don't know, like some surprise team that comes out of nowhere for James Harden, like you better hope that guy changes. And if you're Harden, you better change, or this could be your last big contract. Because that's why nobody's out there for you right now. That's why nobody was trying to sign you in free agency. That's why the Rockets decided to go with Van Vliet. That's why the the Sixers can't even find a good trade for you. Because right now, nobody wants you. So why Andrew is that? ego. Mm. Uh, we've even mentioned this. You were in Summer League, and you called one of his games. You are on the broadcast, I believe, with Kevin Dana, watching a little Victor Wembenyama this year. Um, being in Vegas, seeing him in person... What did you make of just the scene? It was crazy at Thomas and Mac, but also uh, what are your expectations for him in his rookie season with the Spurs? Uh, I mean, it was cool to like last October when we did uh, like the little halftime thing, um, you know, at, at, in October when it was the G League Ignite versus Mets 92, like that arena was amazing. Um, like in terms of like the shock that all the NBA people felt but there was a lot of people there. Right. It, it, it was a lot of people for summer league this year with like, it was a whole room of people that were in shock. Oh, well, yeah, he's actually real. He's real. That's what it felt like <laughs> last October seeing him. And again, in summer league, um, I think with him, my expectations are a lot more of the ups and downs that we saw in summer league, where there's going to be nights where people are on social media or talking about him being a bust. How did people hype him up to be, you know, the best prospect since LeBron James, but I think with Victor Wembanyama, what's going to be immediate is his defense. And so as long as people aren't looking too much at the ups and downs on offense and looking at what he will be immediately on the defensive end of the floor, uh, I think that's where he's going to make his biggest impact for the Spurs. They were terrible on defense last season, but they have some other good talent on offense. As long as Victor Wembanyama can kind of you know fit in on offense and show some of those flashes, improve as a more consistent shooter, he's going to have a stellar rookie year. Um, but I think with Wemby, he's not as, he's not as far along on offense as uh, he was hyped up to be. And I hope for him, people kind of look at that and say, okay, but you can see the, the glimpses of what he should be in two or three or four years. Yeah. So you, th I mean, I guess you think his, his offense, obviously as he keeps growing and getting older and maturing in this league can become as special as what his defense can be in the NBA as well. I think his defense will always be more special. Okay. Um, but, but offensively maybe he could be, you know, as special or more special depending on what level he reaches as a shooter. And with him, he's gotten better every single season this last year. Everybody talks about how he shot below 30% from three, but he also shot above 80% from the free throw line. He shot like 44% on mid-range jumpers. And like, you've seen the highlights. Like he takes a ton of like wild, heavily, you know, as, as much as you can contest a seven foot four guy, but with, you know, defenders breathing down his neck, he's, he has a touch. He's improved each year. I would expect his three point shot to eventually be more consistent. And if he's able to do those like crazy crossovers at, with his size, if the shot pans out, that's what's going to open up his driving ability, 
his passing ability, which he showed some flashes of in summer league. So like, like with so many players, it's going to come down to the jumper. What level can he reach as a three point shooter? And how does that, you know, end up opening all these other dimensions of his game that could turn him into one of the best players of his entire generation. Well, KOC, we seriously appreciate you carving out some time to hang out with us. Can't wait for you to be in Sacramento this year. I'm hoping maybe like once in the regular season, and then maybe playoffs, the Kings oh. are getting ready for the conference finals, and all of a sudden, KOC yeah. decides to come through, you know? We're going to have to show you the best dinner in town, too, by yes. the way. <laughs> yes. Would love to. Yeah, I'll be up there for sure. No doubt about it. I, I guarantee it this year. This year, I'm going to do more traveling. Let's I'm coming go. up with Sac. You have to. I One. The beam. You got to see the beam. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm very curious about the beam this year. Oh, what is that? I just think it might change. Okay. I, I just, you know, the whole, I don't know, you're... You grew up a Boston fan, so you understand like East Coast is a little different than West Coast. But I feel like now with expectations, I would be a little surprised that Kings players are coming out on the floor after every regular season win and lighting the beam. I still feel like the beam will be lit maybe by fan or That's season fine. ticket holder or, what, or just goes on automatically after wins. Just show I just KOC the damn beam okay. in person. That's okay. all I want. I, that's all I want for you. <laughs> I think I think it's kind of it reminds me of uh, with the 0708 Celtics they started doing Geno time where it was like this old like American bandstand clip of this guy with a Geno shirt on and they used to play like this old 70s song and Kevin Garnett used to love it and they would play it after wins for years during the Celtics big three era and like obviously at some point like it becomes the players aren't looking up at the jumbotron as much mm-hmm. and it just happens automatically with a blowout victory. So I think for for the Kings, even if players aren't lighting it up, it's for the fans. Yep. That's who it's for. Yep. And, and then if like you're able to win a championship someday, that becomes <sighs> the moment where everybody like the players are all putting their hand on the button and Vivek's, you know, getting in there, shimmying his way in <laughs> to put his hand on it first. And like that, that's that it all leads to that moment. But the beam should continue to be lit. In my opinion, just like Geno time was for uh, all those Celtics team, because it's for the fans, yeah. not for the players. All right, I agree. Uh, and we, may, the Kings, may be celebrating the winning the first ever NBA Cup too in Vegas. Oh yeah, yeah. can't we? Oh, oh yeah. Are yeah. Guys, if you're the Kings are in that, you guys going to that? I feel like I have to. Yes, I, I mean, I yeah. Depending on what what we need to be doing with NBC and everything, we'll see. But here's yes. my prediction: if the Kings are involved in that in the Vegas experience, we'll th- it, they will be the one city that really cares about the. NBA. NBA yes. Cup, which I'm cool with. I'm I'm on board with this in season thing. It uh, mix it up a little bit. I'm cool with. It. I know it doesn't have the same meaning as a championship no or a playoff one, but who cares? Let's let's get excited about a random November game into December. I'm cool with that. Way better than the current November December you know yep. season schedule where those like the doldrums of the regular season. Like like now there's some spice and every Tuesday and Friday or whatever the days are in November and. I think it's going to be great. Personally, I'm I'm stoked about it. I've been wanting this for years, so um, I'm a little biased there. But I, I think it's it's at least going to make the regular season far more interesting than it already is. Well, KOC, you do amazing work, but you are also an amazing person. We appreciate you hanging out with us, and uh, can't wait to see you in Sacramento. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much, guys, for having me on. So one and only Kevin O'Connor. Deuce and mo, deuce and mo. Deuce and Mo, they tell you what they know. Deuce and Mo, Deuce and Mo, Deuce and Mo, the podcast that you know. Deuce and Mo. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. 
Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.